Changes to corporate governance rules that will create more shared prosperity. But policymakers also need to avoid steps that would impede innovation and productivity. The Top of the Heap In the past four decades, studies of rising inequality in the United States have typically focused on the bottom 90% of earners, Economists have produced rigorous evidence demonstrating how trends in technology, trade, unionization, and minimum wages have shaped the fortunes of those Americans. Global labor market forces have pushed up the demand for highly skilled workers and have led to steadily increasing wages for those with a college education. The same forces have led to declining or stagnant wages for those with lower levels of education, and a decline in unionization rates and the fall in the real value of the minimum wage have exacerbated the downward pressures on middle- and low-wage workers. Less well understood are the causes of the tremendous surge in income among extremely high earners, meaning the upper 1.0, 0.1, and 0.01%. From a policy-making point of view, the most important question is how much of the ultra-rich's income reflects activity, such as technological innovation, that benefits the broader economy. The more of it that does, the greater the potential economic costs of raising taxes on the highest-income individuals. If, in contrast, the income of the biggest earners is produced by pursuits that are less broadly beneficial, such as high-frequency stock market trading, then higher taxes at the top would pose fewer economic costs. Either way, they are likely compelling reasons to raise the top income rates as a way of funding public services and investing in infrastructure, for example. But policymakers would be able to make better decisions about soaking the rich if they had a clearer sense of the trade-offs involved. One of the most interesting facts uncovered by Piketty and others is that, compared with the richest people and families in the early 1900s, when large fortunes often came from inherited assets, today's super-rich are acquiring a larger share of their income in the form of earnings. About 60% of the income of the top 1% in the United States today is labor income. A number of essays in After Piketty mention the rise of supersalaries or supermanagers, top executives of large corporations, primarily in the financial industry, who enjoy very generous compensation packages. Economists disagree, however, about whether the income earned by such executives reflects the efficient working of a market for talent, in which case their pay reflects their value, or whether the massive compensation packages result from a bargaining process that is shaped by regulations, institutions, and social norms. In their contribution to the book, the economists Laura Tyson and Michael Spence highlighted the role of technological developments in creating substantial economic rewards for those who possess specific skills and in reducing the employment security of less skilled workers. But Tyson and Spence also note that markets are imperfect and that compensation packages are not determined solely by market value. They point to a growing body of research indicating that income generated by patents and intellectual property protections and by the market power of brand names flows primarily to upper-level management and the owners of capital. In contrast, in Piketty's view, 
The primary factors driving the rise in executive pay at the top are not technology or imperfect markets, but eroded social norms, questionable corporate governance practices, and declining union power. Tyson and Spence favor more research to weigh the relative impact of market forces and institutional factors, but argue that either explanation provides a strong rationale for increasing the marginal income tax rate for top earners in an effort to combat income inequality. One for you, two for me. Another essential set of questions about inequality centers on whether wealth concentration negatively affects economic growth, shared prosperity, and democratic institutions. In his contribution to After Piketty, Mark Zandi, the chief economist at Moody's Analytics, outlines a number of ways in which it might. One such potential negative effect is reduced aggregate consumer spending.